let's open up the word of the Lord. Let's, book, uh, let's go to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Uh, I'm going to keep on reading, but I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present everybody else's body a living sacrifice, right? Right? That you present your sister or brother as a living holy sacrifice, right? <laughs> so what does it actually say? It's yours. The only one that you're responsible for is you. We spend most of our life trying to present other people as living sacrifices. And we want to make them holy and acceptable to God. But what I have found, Pastor David Ireland and others, uh, some of my very good friends, uh, Bishop Joe Matera, doc, uh, Dr. Bernard, is, you know, all we can do is take them to the Word. And they go through a journey and be there and, and, and help them. But we're responsible for, you point to yourself. Who are you ultimately responsible for? You. Billy Graham one time said it. He was, he was talking to a couple of guys, a couple of the preachers, uh, in a private conversation, and they shared it with us. He says, you know, in all of my events, thousands come to Jesus, but only a small group really remain. A lot of them come, but it's emotional at the moment, but they don't remain. So he says, I can't change people. I've come to that conclusion. I can't change people. I can only preach and teach them, lead them to the word, but they're the ones that have to embrace it. They're the ones that have to want to change. So the scripture says that we're responsible for us. We're the ones that have to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Okay, so let's go to verse 2. And it says, and do not be conformed to this world. So what does that mean? Refuse to be conformed to the world. That's all. The systems of the world. The marketing of the world. The peer pressure of the world. We are now children of God. In Ephesians 5.1 it says, Be imitators of God as dear children. You know, children, they pick up the habits of the fathers and mothers. They pick up the tendencies, the proclivities. They pick up the nuances of their family. He's off. Oh, that's, that's, uh, that's her daughter. Oh, that's the son. I mean, just like mom. But it's true. I mean, th those that you hang out with, you ultimately get that download. And here's the problem. When we're coming up in school, we get downloads from people. We get downloads from our parents. We get downloads from friends. And now when we come to the kingdom of God, we bring those downloads with us. One of the issues we have to deal with is when we come to Christ, all that stuff doesn't just automatically go away. We now have to retrain. And the scripture says it this way. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, we're the ones that have to allow ourselves to be transformed so we could be as dear children of God, so we could be imitators of Christ. That takes time. So you have to be patient with me, and I have to be patient with you, because we're all in the process. Say to your neighbor, I'm in process. I haven't arrived yet, but I'm working on it. We are. We really, really are. We're working on this. And it's not easy because... Our habits, they're so deeply ingrained that if we don't work on it, we won't 
uh, how can I say, we won't get rid of that habit. We won't, we won't get rid of that tendency. It'll keep on coming up. The old man wants to keep on coming up. And that doesn't bring glory to God. It doesn't, uh, how can I say, mesh well with the kingdom of God. So we, we, just, we know this, so we work on it. So it says that we may prove what is good, what is acceptable, and what is the perfect will of God. So when we start discerning through the scriptures, we start realizing on a personal level, whoa, 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 what I'm doing here is not right. See, before you didn't care, you just did it. You just said whatever you're going to say, you did whatever you're going to do, you didn't care. But now, the Spirit of God's inside of you, the Spirit of God is highlighting some issues in you, and you go, oof, wow, this, I felt guilty on that one. Anybody here? It happens. It, it, the Spirit of God is alive in you. So now, as, as, a, as a good Heavenly Father, He's leading us, He's showing us, He's highlighting the things that are not Christ-like, and He's saying, okay, daughter, son, this is the time to start letting this go. This is the time to start working on this. This is the, start, the time to, to, to start putting to death these things that your members used to do before, and now you're walking with me. Now we're doing this together, the Lord says. Right? Then verse 3, it says, For I say... Through the grace that is given to me, the apostle said, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So all of us have a measure of faith. All of us have a measure of grace. So you're graced to do something. You are anointed, graced, and gifted to do something. How many of you could do all things through Christ who strengthens you? Ah, you're getting smart, you are. You're not going to answer that one anymore, right? The bottom line is, no, you can't do everything. That's not what the apostle was saying. He said, in the context of going through hard times, he was saying, I can go through all of these things because Christ strengthens me. Exactly. Amen. I'm not supposed to do everything. I don't want to do everything. I don't feel like being everything to everyone. I can only be the best me. God wired me a certain way, and that's how He will work through me. That's how He'll get glory through me when I finally realize that my gift is useful, that I am unique, that I'm special, and I'm needed in the body of Christ. Somebody missed a great place to say amen right there. Hallelujah. So you're important. You're needed. You're necessary. Say to your neighbor, you're necessary. You're vital in the body of Christ. Amen. And then verse 4 says, For as we have many members in our body... But all of the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ. And individually we're members one of one another. Amen. I love that. And then there's another verse in Romans 14.12 that I just wanted to quickly highlight. Romans 14.12. Notice it says, So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. And in verse 13, Therefore let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block, or to cause to fall in our brother's way. Or to cause a fall in our brother's way. Wow. So once again, I have to be concerned about my life of the way I live, because I have to give an account to God, personally. You don't have to give an account to God to, for me. When I stand before God, you're not going to be there saying, you know, God, you got to give this guy a break, because I know he did this and this and that. Uh-uh, it's not happening that way. 
you're going to be there. And you know what I love about God? He knows us. He knows us. There are no, there are no barriers. There's nothing in the way. He knows our heart of hearts. So when we go before them, we could go confidently. You know, we could just, here I am, Heavenly Father, all of me. This is what I did good. This, this, this is how I messed up. But I thank you for the blood. You know, I, I'm forgiven. So we could go before the Lord happily. But having said that, throughout life, he wants to partner with you and through you. He anointed you so that you could be a blessing, not just be blessed. See, many in the body of Christ, we get to the place. Yes, I'm blessed. Amen. How many here are blessed? We, we are. We are blessed. How many are blessed? Amen. So some of you are not blessed yet? I'm blessed? There's, there's the, uh, at one point in the body of Christ, it was, I'm blessed and I'm highly favored. And we are. We are blessed. But that's just one level. The higher level is what? When we become the blessing. When we realize that we're blessed to bless others. When we realize it just doesn't stop in elementary school. Now God wants to take us to high school and college in the spirit. When we realize I'm called to die to self voluntarily out of love and now be a blessing to other people. It's not convenient for me. So? I'm, I'm walking like Christ now. Uh, as, as Christ's dear child, I am growing up and realizing that for 30 years Christ was a son. For 30 years Christ prepared himself. For 30 years he was a, well not 30 years, but as an adult he was a carpenter. So, you know, he, was, he hung out with his family, took care of business. I would love to see some of the stuff he put out as a carpenter. I, you know, would, wouldn't that be nice if they excavated a chair that Jesus built? Maybe that has his signature, you know? Wow, that would be so cool. Because I'm sure he put out some excellent stuff. In, in that movie, the, the Passion of the Christ, it shows him he's, he, he, that chair and the table. He has such pride in it. Of course, carpenters, you know, mechanics in general, are very prideful about their stuff. So imagine Jesus you know, finishing his first chair or presenting it to his mom. Mom, look what I did to his dad. That was awesome. But there, there came a time where he had to let that go and now go into that level of being the blessing. What did he think about that? Well, you have a snapshot. Part of the snapshot is in Hebrews chapter 12. He says, for the joy that was placed before him, he endured the shame. He endured it. It's not that he enjoyed having to go to a cross. It's not that he enjoyed having to deal with these knuckleheads. Yeah, there were knuckleheads in those days. Today, thank God, we don't any longer have any knuckleheads. They've all been done with, and we no longer have to deal with any knuckleheads in society. <laughs> Why are you laughing? The bottom line is, they, they will always be there. You know why? Knuckleheadedness is part of the human design. We have more than ten knuckles. We are knuckleheads many times. Sometimes we don't act right. And he knew all of this. He knew what he was going to have to deal with, but yet still he went for it because he loved us. Say to your neighbor, he loved us. He understood what it meant to be the blessing. Now as dear children, God is calling us to be the blessing. So how can we be the blessing? Well, we've been talking about that the last couple of weeks. We've been talking about the issues of the flesh. The first issue we spoke about uh, two weeks ago was the issue of wanting to be independent. I don't need anybody. I don't appreciate people telling me what to do. That is endemic to nature. Nobody wants to be told what to do. 
It's very hard to be told what to do. And that we bring it to the body, and many times it becomes a problem in the kingdom of God. Another issue simply is pride. But pride is like the master, master sin, for crying out loud. <laughs> That's the one that was in Lucifer. That caused Lucifer to become the adversary, the devil. Okay, so we also have to deal with the issue of pride. The other issue is the fact that we don't want to give account to each other. So these are issues that we have to deal with because it all has to do with our attitude. Remember we discussed attitude? I wrote out, an attitude is a mental position or perspective with regards to a fact or a state. And most of the time it's coupled with feelings and emotions to that regard. Attitude is also a negative or hostile state of mind or a cool, cocky, defiant, or arrogant manner. Okay? See, so it's, it's a state of mind. It's something you believe. It's a preset notion, but it also is coupled with your emotion. So when you give attitude, you're, at, you're expressing emotion because of a certain way that you see things. All right? Okay. And then we talked about two weeks ago how Terrell Owens, uh, Terrell Owens a great football player, I mean, this man was let go because of his attitude. But yet he was a great player. Uh, Bobby Knight, a great coach, a, a, a college coach. But he was fired because of attitude or known because of attitude. Douglas MacArthur was fired in the middle of the Korean War due to a bad attitude. <laughs> Shannon Darty, uh, fired from 90210. Not because she's not a good actress, actress she's just, she had a bad attitude. And what about Marilyn Monroe? She was fired from her last job. I mean, this is, this is a, a, a terrible thing, but yet it exists among humans. We all, from time to time, have attitudes because of wrong notions, uh, uh, misunderstandings. Uh, we, we don't understand life or don't understand our jobs or our, our friends or whatever it may be. Then I said this last week or two weeks ago. People with a bad attitude think that others should put up with their bad attitude for the sake of their gift. So what eventually happens is that the bad attitude stinks so much that the team or your friends or your job or your family is no longer willing to put up with the person, so they push away that person. They push, push them away because their attitude disqualifies them in spite of their giftedness, and it eventually over, overshadows your gift. And this I put together, I wrote about two years ago sitting in Dr. Bernard's church because he was teaching this to his people because he's got so many teams, so many people working in that ministry. I mean, they've got 30,000 members. So they have to constantly deal with this. And they're very strong with this, but it's because human nature tends to always get in the way, even in the kingdom of God. So we as God's children, we have to learn to overcome that and put that aside for the greater benefit of the people that God has called us to serve. Why? Because we're not just blessed, we are we are the blessing. Amen. Praise God. So today I want to go and share a couple of more notes. This one, I got it from my good friend and mentor, um, Dr. Uh, Bishop Joe. Bishop Joe, a very, very uh, precious man, a humble man of God, humble man of God. But he's a true, I, I believe he's one of the true erudites in this day. Uh, he's, he's a gifted scholar. More and more people in the body of Christ are asking him to come on board. He right now is the third man on one of the uh, very important national and international fellowship of pastors. So I really appreciate where the Lord has taken him. But he taught his church something that really, really uh, ministered to me. And, and I, I, 
I read this and I said, okay, here, here's an area that's affecting me. Here's an area that I'm good at. Here's an area that I actually stink at. So I want to read it to you and share it with you today, okay? So these are some effective principles uh, to be able to walk together, to live together, to serve together, to clarify issues. So he said, here are some of the ungodly ways that people deal with each other as they're working together. So when they go into ministry and, and minister to each other, first thing, not in any order of importance, but I'm just going to give you, I think, uh, maybe seven of them. Number one, we attempt to totally avoid contact with other people. If we don't like them too much, if we don't appreciate their attitude. So since no one enjoys conflicts or disagreements, our first tendency is to avoid conflicts and run from it. But yet this is the absolute worst thing to do. Every time we happen to be with a person, our unspoken conflict becomes an elephant in the room. Even if we avoid the person, we're still carrying baggage of the situation with us everywhere we go. The only when we face and confront those issues or deal with it, bring clarity, bring peace um, to the, with those we have issues with, can we hope to resolve situations. Second thing he mentioned to his church uh, was that we cannot do this, and that is communicating sensitive information to others via email or text messaging. Amen. And he says, if the person doesn't avoid confrontation but still doesn't want a face-to-face -face confrontation, then they utilize Internet to communicate their feelings. He says, this is not the correct way of dealing with serious and sensitive conflicts. Since a person sending emails or texts does not have to be the recipient of a response because there is no interaction. Emails and text messages are not meant to communicate anything but academic or business-like communications and should never take the place of face-to-face -face meetings for important issues that arise. I recommend that all of you learn that now because in business... Some of the things that have saved me have been email. And some of the things that have tended to want to get me in trouble is email. What happens is, depending how you communicate an email, it might sound different. It might sound like you have an attitude, but you don't. You just said something very casually. And yet the person later on comes back and says, well, I'm offended because you said this on it. You meant this and this. Where? They show you the internet. No, all I meant was this and this and that. So truly, when you're going to communicate more important issues, it should be done in person. I'm getting no amens now. Probably all of you are guilty of this one. All y'all guilty. All y'all guilty. Well, yeah, listen, we got to get used to that. This is a normal way of communicating now. It really is. You get used to it. We just have to learn that email and text has a place, but you can't get really deep in that. And then what I don't like, and you see it even with our politicians, they're getting caught. Because what you think is private is not private at all. Anytime you write an email, make believe that the world is reading it while you're typing it. Because this is what's going to eventually happen, especially if it's juicy. And, you know, and, and I, I, it hurts me to see how our children think that they could text pictures of each other and not think that it's going to get out there. And they do it over and over and over and over again. And it especially hurts me when grown-ups do it and politicians. I mean, th these things are meant for a certain amount of communication, but not the deep stuff. So that's very important. Third thing, 
is uh, um, that, that Bishop Joe taught to his people is talking behind others' backs to vent frustration. One tendency is to express how we feel. And if we don't express our feelings with the person that we have an issue with, then we will feel compelled to express our feelings with another person. But yet Matthew 18 teaches, uh, verse 15, that if, we, if someone sins against us, we should speak to them and them alone. We should not go to another person before fulfilling this process. Satan works in the dark. When we bring things out in conversation, most of the time, the differences will begin to melt away. So, in the past, I had an awesome opportunity, an awesome privilege of traveling with an international deliverance evangelist. This international deliverance evangelist would go and cast out devils. I mean, amazing. Imagine the altar filled with 100 people or 200 people. And he's laying hands on people and they're all over the floor and some of them are slithering. I mean, very unusual experience. And I was there because I was his interpreter because he didn't speak English. So I had to be there interpreting everything. But what I really loved was not that. What I really loved is when he would take all those people to the little rooms and then they would sit down and says, since when have you been going through this? And one of the things that I saw repeated over and over again was a young lady or a young man that was absolutely offended at their father or at their mother. And then when the guy would dig in, he says, why are you offended? Because he treats my mother bad or because he treats my father bad. One young lady said it this way. She says, yeah, I, I'm very angry at my father. But why? Because, because he treats my mother bad. He says, and how do you know that? Do you see him treating her bad? She says, no, actually, he's very nice to me, and he's always nice in front of me. So how do you know that? Because my mother always tells me everything that's going on. So what, in, in, inadvertently, what mom was doing is she was passing her private pain onto her daughter. And her daughter was illegally carrying a pain that was none of her business. You see? So that is a big ill in the body of Christ and in humanity in general. You have to be careful what pain you want to pass on to others because what will happen is other people will take your frustration and then they won't like that person. They don't even know why they don't like that person. So we're learning that in the body of Christ. We have to be very careful and we have to follow Matthew chapter 18. If you are offended by somebody or somebody hurts you or whatever, you go directly to that person and you fix it. Now it does say this, if the person refuses to listen, then you bring a couple of witnesses. It doesn't say you go to everybody. You go and bring in one or two witnesses, uh, of course, one or two of the leadership, somebody you trust, and you fix it. And if that person still refuses, then you bring it to the general congregation. That's, that's the process. So Joe was teaching that, and I really, really, uh, that really ministered to me, remembering that girl. And you know what that man said? He told her, he says, listen, frankly, that was none of your business. Your mother did a big mistake sharing that very private stuff. And now you're angry at your father. Yeah, she, she, had a, she was so angry, she couldn't forgive her father. Meanwhile, her father was always very nice. That day she was delivered from that anger that she was carrying illegally. And she was able to go back to dad. And the next day when she came to the service, she was beaming. She was happy because for the first time she realized she didn't have to carry that. And many people in the body of Christ are carrying pain in their hearts that have nothing to do with them. And their relationships are, are affected 
Because they were told things that were, were none of their business. And it wasn't healthy. So communication is a vital thing. I'm not getting many amens here. I got, I got people giving me the malocchio already right here. The people, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't like when Pastor medals. I like when he preaches those messages, make me jump up and down. But this one, amen. This is, this is, this is so tough. I got, I'm going to have to give you uh, the perks of being a grandfather. <laughs> Wait, well, the older you get, you know. This is when, when, so <laughs> anyway, let me get back. Let me get back. Number four is when sometimes, and I, this, this impacted me. This is hard. This has been hard, and I've had to learn this one. Is when we abruptly divorce ourselves emotionally and personally. Many people do not have much tolerance for dissonance and conflict. Thus, in order to function comfortably, some internally distance themselves from all folks who don't agree with them. Or have a conflict with them. And this is disastrous if a person practices this with their spouse, with their children, uh, with their brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, those that they're called to work with closely. Any person practicing this will be relegated to experiencing superficial relationships until they learn to deal with conflict in a godly manner. So disconnecting ourselves, many of us do that. I, I've, I've been guilty of that. I, I try to disconnect, but my real issue is I just don't want to deal with this. Man, that's... Ah. I'm having a problem with this. But, but instead of dealing with it, I elongate the problem. It gets bigger. And it's not that it's bigger. It just gets bigger in my mind, in my heart. Then it gets bigger in maybe the other person. And it becomes a mountain where all it was was a little anthill. Number five, becoming defensive and justifying our own bad behavior. Some of the hardest people to reach are defensive people. And we all can be defensive. And in, during my promise keeper days, I learned this. That when you are confronting a man, this is for you guys. When you're confronting a man, expect that man to get angry. What? <laughs> Excuse me? Who do you think you're talking to? That is a defense mechanism many times that we set up. Although today, I find that both men and women many times react that way as I deal in business. Um, they don't want to deal with the issue that they're wrong in, in business. I spoke to this vice president. And she got so angry at me just because I was not at quote-unquote her level. But yet, she didn't know what she was talking about. So I was surprised at how she responded. Just an you know, eloquent woman, very successful in business, obviously a multimillionaire. But yet when I challenged her on something, very, you know who I am. I'm very polite. I challenged her. She got so angry. Yet I was 100% right. It was my uh, area of expertise. She knew nothing about what we were talking about, but I could not say anything to her because I was not at her station. So she got very defensive and lashed out at me and tried to get me written up. And, and I looked, I said, wow, how can people react just because of ego? So uh, this is very difficult. Uh, and so what happens is instead of being open to the truth about themselves, they will challenge, get defensive. They rarely grow in conflict and remain like children emotionally until they learn to be open and repent for wrong behavior. We all have to repent for things. Every single one of us. Say to your neighbor, you've got to repent for something. Which it's, there's no perfect person here. We all have issues. So it's better that you learn that quickly. Learn to say, I'm sorry, you're right. Okay, I'll deal with it. That's it. That's cool. That's, that is a great place to be. Because, see, the, the more immature we are, the more we think 
that if I admit it, oh man, the world's not going to look at me the right way. Oh, wrong. On the contrary, the more you realize or you, you admit your stuff in front of people, the more people respect you for it. You literally say, wow, I appreciate how that person was able to take, take it and, and man, that's good stuff. Hallelujah. Next point. Exaggerating negative aspects of a relationship and disregarding all the positive traits of the person, the other person. Unfortunately, when somebody is mad at a person, the tendency is to focus on all the stuff that person has done wrong, causing the person to formulate a picture in the other person's mind that paints them in a bad light. And this is common in conflicts between spouses and in any other relationship. Until and unless the true picture of that person is taken into account, the relationship cannot be healed. So I can focus on your negatives, or I can focus on who God called you to be. And I can work on those positive traits, those positive aspects. And I choose to see the best in each one of you. Period. That's it. Do you have glitches? Yeah. One of my pastor friends said this, when you buy a relationship, you buy the whole relationship. Similar to when you buy a field, you buy all the gardens, you buy uh, the corn, you buy the succotash, the, the, the squash, uh, you, you, know, you buy it all. But you also buy the weeds. You also buy the, 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 the rats and the mice and, and what, the gerbil, whatever might be in the fields. You, you, you buy the whole field. So say to your neighbor, if you want to buy me, you got to buy the whole field. <laughs> so if I buy a field, what am I going to do? Am I going to go through the whole field and say, ah, weeds, ah, all this field just has weeds. What a nasty field. Or am I going to say, yeah, there's a weed here or there, but man, look at that corn. Look at the apples, man. Look at the tomatoes. No amens? No amens? Ah, you, you, you understand? We're focusing on the wrong things, but this is exactly what the enemy wants us to do, to focus on our worst so that we can never focus on our good points because if we work as a body, now we become the blessing. And the last one is making alliances with others who fortify us and sympathize with us against the other person. When in conflict, the other person in tendency is to find allies who will agree with us. And this is totally normal. We do that as children. We do this growing up. We, do that. we just do this. This is done mainly out of fear since we all feel threatened or afraid when we have a conflict with another person. Especially if that person has influence with others we know and depend on. When this is done, most of the time it only makes the conflict worse since only one side of the story is being given, usually while making others swear to secrecy. And I find two ills here. And going back to that deliverance thing. That deliverance thing helped me out a lot when I was war walking around with this evangelist. Another area that greatly impacted people, and we only saw it when they confessed it in the, these private rooms, was this. Yeah, my mother told me, but she swore me to secrecy. Yeah, uh, he said he's going to commit suicide, but he promised me, he made me promise not to tell anybody. Yeah, that person uh, had an issue, had a problem in the family this or the job that, but he, he asked me before I said anything. Uh, he says, please don't tell anybody. Keep it secret, please. That is the worst, one of the worst prisons you could get yourself into. And I suggest this very strongly. If anybody comes to you in the body of Christ, or at work, or at family, I'm going to tell you something, but uh, I don't know if I can trust you in this. Before you tell me anything, I want to let you know that if it's this, I have to share it with the police. If it's this, I have to share it with my pastor. 
If it's this, I have to share it with my elders. If it's this, I have to share it with the rest of the family. In other words, don't allow yourself to get locked into that. I don't know what to call it. It's, it's shackles. It's a bondage of sorts. Yeah, good word. It's a bondage of sorts if you promise that you won't say anything. Because then they lay that bomb on you, and now you have to carry that bomb. And you feel guilty because you know somebody's got to know this. Because the only way it's going to get corrected is if, you know, the, the adequate person finds out. Whether it be the police. There's some cases where you have to tell the police. If there's abuse, you have to tell the police. So no, you never want to put yourself in that situation. And if you do, repent. And tell that person, I'm sorry, I know I promised it, but I can't keep this secret. For your benefit and the benefit of others, we have to take this to so-and-so. Whoever that so-and-so is, whether it's police, whether it's pastor, whether it's elders, whether it's family members, wherever it is, we can't allow ourselves to get stuck in that area. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And then the other thing is, is that when a person comes and shares their perspective, remember this. It's their perspective. You usually find the truth somewhere in the middle. You got that point, you got the other point, and then you got the truth somewhere in the middle. Because everybody, every human being is biased. We're all biased. We all see it from one lens. And that's not a bad thing. It's just humans. We, we don't see the full picture. So you see two parts. You see this point and that point. And so you as an individual, since you love them, you pray for them. You bless them. And, and, and pray that God will give them wisdom to be able to overcome the issue. You don't just blindly just jump on, okay, whatever it is. You know, I've seen situations, I've lived long enough, I've seen situations where uh, just because they're either family or they, you know, they belong to a, a particular job or whatever, that no matter what the person says, no matter what the person does, they'll back them up. Even though the person's 100% wrong, they will back them up. Even the person committed a crime, they'll still back him up. We see him on TV. Yeah, we know, we, we know, because we still love him, and, you know, uh, we, we don't feel he did it. Meanwhile, black and white, the guy did it. His hand was found in the cookie jar. And the family's, well, no, we don't believe, we can't believe. <laughs> Hello, the guy did the crime, you know. <laughs> they found hair, follicles, one of his teeth fell out when he was eating the cookie. They found it. He's guilty. <laughs> If he's guilty, he's guilty. You know, just wait. And then, and then Bishop Joe taught the, these areas, which is the godly principles. How to handle it. And I appreciated that because I also juxtaposed my life and the way I handle things. Then number one, he says, always endeavor to walk in the light. 1 John 1.7 teaches us that we need to walk in the light with one another. Meaning transparency and honesty. And this involves immediately going to a person to clarify if you're offended or if you hear something that disturbs you about the person. Living like this develops trust between people, even in cases that require confessing faults or correcting someone for wrong that has been done. So endeavor to walk in the light. That's vital. Walking in the light means walking in truth, walking in honesty, walking in transparency. That's very important. And he put a note. He said, Satan works in the dark. So most of the time, we will avoid falling into the snares of Satan if we communicate on a regular basis. A good friend of mine, years ago, years ago, we were in a men's retreat, and we heard a message like this. 
where the pastor uh, who ministered to us, the guest pastor, said, you know, if you have some issues that you're feeling guilty about, that are driving you crazy, you really have to confess. And, and my friend had pretty much, he committed adultery. Committed adultery. And that had been plaguing him for seven years. Seven long years. And he was uh, um, always afraid that his wife was going to find out. I mean, just, he was going through hell and back. I mean, just hard for him. So during that night, he said, Lord, forgive me. Whatever happens, I love my wife enough to confess to her. And he did. He went that night after the retreat, and he sat down with his wife. He says, I love you with all of my heart, but you need to know this, and I need, I, I need to just let you decide what you want to do. But I'm telling you right now, I love you, and I don't ever want to you know, lose our relationship, but you need to know this, and I'm sorry. I'm about ready to hurt you. And he told me, that seven years ago, I played you dirty with so-and-so. And it hurt his wife. She went through changes. And, you know, he, he just he went through this process. He didn't know how it was going to turn out because you don't know. You're pretty much, that's it. He could have lost his relationship, but he realized that it was worse what he was doing both to him and especially to his wife. He confessed. She was upset. It hurt her. It took about two weeks to a month. But after one month, or two weeks and one month, they started talking about it. She forgave him. They restored their relationship. Uh, and, and, you know, they moved on. And now, since he was dealing in the light, he no longer had that guilt that the devil consistently and constantly was all over him. Well, you know, it's going to happen any day. Uh, you know, uh, any little thing. Any time his wife came in, he was like, is it because of this? He never knew. He was always off guard. He was always, uh, you know, afraid. But he broke the devil's back right there by being truthful, honest, and transparent. Now, depending on the situation, you, I, I suggest first you get some advice as to how to handle stuff. But it's always better to deal in the light versus leave stuff like that buried. But, you know, I'm not saying just to jump out and just say anything now. Get proper counsel first and then proceed. And this might be the right way to go. Number two, be willing to hear the other side of the story before you run the judgment. That's, that is so simple, but yet many times we fail as, as, as believers to hear both sides of the story. The book of Proverbs says, one man seems right in his opinion until the other side is heard. So we always, I mean, don't you like uh, Bishop, well, not Bishop, uh, Judge Judy, is it? Is it Judge Judy? How many of you like, you can't take her, you can't take Judge Judy, I love her. I know it's a show, and, and it's not just Judge Judy, because they are various, by the way. But, but you know, it, 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 what I like about the show is one guy will come in all cocky and arrogant, and he'll state his stuff, and then once the other person starts bringing out their stuff, after a while, they're a mouse. After a while, it was not the way they painted the picture. There was another part to the story. And on national TV, you get embarrassed. Because it's embarrassing what some of those people go through. <laughs> my, my wife has a favorite Judy moment, you know. It's, it's when this one guy gave, uh, allowed uh, like a 14-year-old daughter to drive. So she created an accident. So he, she called him a couple of, sir, you are a blah, blah, blah. She let him have it on national TV. And he's like, his face said, I'm not liking you very much right now. But it's true. He, he was wrong. Anyway, three, use godly 
confrontation and clarity. We love that word here at Calvary, that clarity word. Use godly clarity as an opportunity to deepen relationships. So over the years, Bishop Joe had seen disagreements as God's way of bringing him closer to the truth. This is one of the ways of developing more trust and openness between him and others, and obviously between us and others. Done the cor correct way, a disagreement can actually become a catalyst for more trust and love to be expressed in the future. So, whenever there's a confrontation, whenever there's an issue, whenever there's a crisis, use it as an opportunity to deepen your relationship. Amen. My wife and I today, we have a deep relationship, not based on the fact that we're always ice cream with each other. You know ice cream, nice and sweet? No, it is the confrontations that allow us to have such a deep relationship. It is in the confrontations that I find out what she really likes and doesn't like, and vice versa. She sees what I like, what I don't like. So confrontations are a good thing. Amen. Discussion is a good thing. I'm, I'm getting only amen from Minister Mickey because she knows this is a good thing. All the rest of you are going. I've never seen so many people squirm as I've had to, as seen today. And then the next point. Be honest but gentle. Why is it that we're known as people that need to fly off a handle to be honest? Yeah, that's a, that's a good word in Spanish. We just have to be brusque. You know, I'm, I'm going to tell you, you want to know the truth? Yes, yeah, the way we are many times. We don't have to. You could be truthful but gentle. Honest but gentle. The Bible teaches us to be kind and tender-hearted with one another in Ephesians 4.32. We need to be gentle and compassionate when in disagreement with another person. We should put ourselves in their shoes by treating others and understanding others the same way we should want them to understand us. Did you see the, Democrat, I'm sorry, the Republican uh, debate last Friday? No? You know what, what, what I love about these politicians? They can call themselves dead dogs while they're in the debate. But as soon as they finish, now a smile comes on them, then they come and shake each other's hands, you know, and they talk to each other casually like nothing ever happened. This is my son, this is my daughter. Meanwhile, 10 minutes ago, he called her a, a dead dog or something like that. In other words, what I'm saying is that there are times where we'll disagree. Okay, let's finish. Okay, we disagree about that. Okay, let's keep on walking. Oh, I, I just choose to disagree with you on that. Why can't we do that? Why is it that if we disagree, that's it, the relationship's over? We disagree with that. We're fine. Okay, let's keep on walking. Life is a lot larger than this one thing. That, in relation to eternity, is very small. Hallelujah. I got one yes, one hallelujah, and the rest of you are just, oh, okay. Honest but gentle. All right, so say to your neighbor, you can be honest, but be gentle while you're honest. Amen. And the fifth thing, uh, how to deal with it in a godly way, way, allow love, allow love to be the motivation rather than providing your point, than proving your point rather. Allow love to be the mo motivation rather than proving your point. When we get into conflict, the first thing we, we in our sinful human behavior want to do is prove we're right and the other person's wrong. Yeah, that's true. You're right. 
God has a greater purpose than this. Conflicts are opportunities for forgiveness, brokenness, humility to be worked inside of us and the other person so that his church is strengthened and we are deepened in our relationships. God is more interested in, in, in what kind of spirit we're walking in rather than who's right or wrong. And I like that because in my history, I've wanted to be right. You know, my wife and I, we're we two bulls, man. When we're at it, I mean, yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who, we, I'm serious, man. I have several chichones, man, in the arguments here. Yeah, we, we, but we've realized what's better, that I be right all the time, that she might be right, or that the best decision is rendered at that moment. So we, we realize, you know, hon, you got, you got better. So right now, if you go to our little apartment, it looks very nice, very well designed. I have 0.2% of that design. <laughs> but I'm all right with it because she designs better than I do. I don't have to be right. I don't have to be, my, my design doesn't have to be plastic. If she does a better job, I give her to her. I go for it. Go ahead. How much more money do you need? Oh, go ahead. Because <laughs> the issue is what's better for both of us. So that, that's, that's how we walk. And it has helped us a lot. The point number six, allow God to redeem the situation for his glory. Amen. We still want God to get glory. We still need for God to get glory because that's part of what we do our lives, give glory to God. Hallelujah. So just understand that in every situation, even in debates, even in problems, even in crises, God can get the glory. Even if it looks like it's getting negative, shift it around. So God will get glory. How does God get glory? Let love have his way. Because ultimately it's not that we're right or that this or that or that we shine. No, the body of Christ needs to shine. Jesus wasn't interested in shining. He said it's necessary that I die so that they can live. And, and what about his precursor, John the Baptist? What did he say? He says it's necessary that I decrease so that he might increase. Wow. How many here want to be John the Baptist? Yeah, right. You read John the Baptist story? He got his head cut off. And he had to eat locusts and honey. All right, this afternoon, I'm taking you to dinner. Locusts and honey for you, sir. <laughs> he was a wild man. Yeah, but there came a time in his ministry where his ministry was to decrease so that somebody else can increase. Whoa, isn't that a cool teaching for the church today? Hallelujah. Amen. So the first step in allowing this is to allow God to redeem a situation. How? Forgive all those involved so that their sin doesn't remain attached to our emotions, which would cause unnecessary baggage indefinitely. Because God wants to use even disagreements and conflicts as ways to reveal truth and grow in grace. God also wants us to work all things for good. Because that's what He's doing. He's working out all things in us for good. So He wants us to learn to help others work things for good too. Hallelujah. We need to seize every disagreement or conflict as an opportunity to discern what God is really doing in this situation to undermine the plan of Satan and get the glory for himself. So allow God to redeem the situation for his glory. And lastly, intercede for the other person and the situation before you confront. How many of you are praying for each other? Are we praying for each other? Yes. Are we praying for the betterment? of the house? Are we praying for the betterment of our families, our co-workers, your, 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 the bosses you might hate? <laughs> Are you praying for them? We need to pray for people. 
When in a serious situation, it is vital to be in prayer and get God's heart and mind for how to deal with the other person and also to see what God is looking for in a way of an outcome. Sometimes the worst conflicts in the world can result in a person getting broken before God if they are dealt with the right way. Jesus taught us to pray for our enemies and to do well to those who even use us or abuse us. This is the only way we can stay in the right spirit and not allow the sins of others to become attached to our lives and poison us. Jesus said it this way. He said, if you refuse to forgive people their sins, he cannot forgive your sin. But here's the issue. The reason why that's so destructive is if you refuse to forgive people their sins, you keep the offense. It's still there. And then Jesus said it's similar to a person going to prison. And while they're in prison, uh, the judge sends tormentors after him. So not only is he in a prison, but he's also being tormented while in prison. And what happens is unforgiven offenses in an individual become tormenting moments or tormenting opportunities. The tormentors are released to torment you. So Jesus said, you have to release it. You have to forgive it. Whether the person cares or not, whether the person respects it or not, whether the person receives it or not, you have to do it for your own benefit too. Because if you don't, that situation or that offense will continue to hurt you. It will continue to uh, torment you. Because it does have torment. Both fear and unforgiveness has torment. So lastly, Bishop Joe shared that. We have to be always in the right spirit in dealing with the body of Christ. So as, as Christians, we can become God's dear children, imitating Christ.